I want to take a minute to tell you about Federal Access. Federal Access is our coaching and training platform that we develop for government contractors. The resources in Federal Access have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. When you become a member, you're going to get access to hundreds of documents, templates, training videos, on-demand webinars, and you get SME support from me. So if you have a question, you can email me directly anytime. Here's a special offer for Game Changers listeners. Visit federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers today and get started for just $29. That's federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers to get started for just $29. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors. I've got Michelle Burnett here with me today. And Michelle, before we get started, I know a lot of people know who you are already, but for those who don't, why don't you give them the quick once over of who you are and what you do? So as you said, my name is Michelle Burnett and I am the Executive Director of the HUBZone Contractors National Council, which is a nonprofit trade association that advocates for the HUBZone program. I know a lot of people aren't too familiar with HUBZone and, and how all that works. And I know you also have a conference as well. So I'm excited to talk a little bit today about what the HUBZone Council does, as well as the conference that you have coming up. Why don't you maybe kick us off a little bit and talk about how the HUBZone Council helps HUBZones? Absolutely. And I'm not sure we have enough time in the day uh, to cover all of the, the areas, but the HUBZone Council was formed in 2000, and it's a network of companies and organizations working together to improve the program. And let's get real, everybody. We all know the program needs some improvement. The underlying premise of the HUBZone program is all about facilitating job creation and economic growth. But the reality is, is that, you know, the government has a 3% goal of set-asides, but yet since the program's in it's never met that goal. So the Hubstone Council works very closely. We are an advocacy organization to shape policies in order to improve the program. And it was actually the council that got the changes under the NDAA that led to the overhaul of the program. But the reality is, is our work is far from over. We focus on a lot of advocacy efforts. We look at different ways in order to establish synergies and partnerships between companies so they can become more competitive in the market. We're constantly looking for rewards and discounts and creating partnerships with organizations such like RSM Federal, which is why I'm so excited to be able to participate in today's podcast. And I really like working with, you know, RSM. They're an amazing group of individuals and they provide a wealth of information. To get back to it is like, essentially the council is not me. It's a representation of all the companies and organizations within our network, which includes large businesses, government agencies, state and local government. We provide training and education. We've assisted some of our members with establishing mentorships. We've helped them navigate different types of certification processes. At the end of the day, our objective objective is to help HubZone businesses grow so that when they succeed, their entire community succeeds. That essentially, I think at a high level, kind of covers things. Um, we know that one size doesn't fit all. So we try to find ways to really understand and embrace the unique individuality of each of our members and figure out strategies to help them grow. That's awesome. I, I think it's so important to have a group that's focused on making the program better because I know when I look at some of the small business programs that are out there, they really have good intentions is the best way to put it. There's a lot of really good intentions and poor execution 
execution when you look at some of the stuff that's going on. I know a lot of people talk about the 8A program that way of really good intentions, poor execution, and I know there's a lot of work going on in that program to make it better, and I think that's really awesome. There's so many advocates out there really working hard to kind of pour some energy into that program, and so I personally like to see that kind of stuff going on, and when, you know, you talked about, you know, your efforts going into the NDAA, for those that are not aware of that, you know, that is the National Defense Authorization Act, so a lot of legislation goes on through that side of things. That's where we see where percentages increase or money's allocated to the program. At the heart of it, that's part of the big challenge is not a lot of money in the past has been allocated to a lot of these programs. And so what are you going to do if you don't have a budget or people working on it or that sort of thing? So it's good to see groups that are you know advocating for that kind of stuff. Today with your members, what is like one of the major needs that your members have today? Well, across the board, a lot of members are complaining by the fact that, you know, you constantly hear everybody say that, you know, we can't meet our hub zone goals and we need to find hub zone companies. But then they're like, where's the set asides? And it's true. It's like we create these socioeconomic programs. And this is not just specific to hub zone. This is a problem with women owned and veteran owned as well. Yeah. Is that the government is so focused on meeting their goal. They forgot why we have these programs in the first place. Mm. And the only way that the hub zone program can meet its objective of economic development and equity and distribution of wealth is by the federal government soliciting set asides. You know, a lot of federal agencies have been bringing us in to do acquisition training. I've done acquisition training for NIH, FSA. I've been working with the Environmental Protection Agency. I respect the fact that so many of these agencies are receptive to allowing us to come in and have this conversation, but I feel like it's really just going to take an overhaul of the way that they view things because far too long, they look at it from the perspective of, hey, let's just solicit it as a small business and find companies that happen to have these other certifications, not Mm. realizing that how those particular actions ultimately affect this program because people like stop thinking that the program is providing value because most businesses aren't correlating the benefit of programs. Like if you get an award based on small business, I mean, I constantly get calls where companies say, hey, this program has done nothing for me. So why am I jumping through the hoops and spending time and energy to maintain the status? Um, I go, hey, while you don't think it's benefiting you, I guarantee you that that federal agency is checking that box. But that's that problem is, is they're getting to have their cake and eat it too. And that's kind of got to stop. Also a big thing that small businesses complained about is subcontracting enforcement, like getting on a team and never seeing work share. So the council has worked very closely with SBA, as well as our partners at the Montgomery Chamber of Commerce, in order to work towards legislation to put some teeth into it. I like to use the analogy is like, we say that subcontracting is important, but we don't expend the resources and we don't have any ramifications. It's kind of like going on a highway. If the speed limit says to go 45 and you know you're not going to get pulled over and you know nothing's going to happen, the likelihood that you're going to go that speed limit is slim to none. We need to be able to, you know, get behind those that are, you know, following the guidelines and use positive reinforcement and hold those that are not doing it accountable. But it's difficult for small businesses to kind of stand up for themselves because they get blackballed. So as an organization, I I mean, I've reached out to contracting officers on their behalf. I've submitted uh, inquiries to SBA on their behalf because I don't really care if they're mad at me. Right. Right. (laughs) Our goal is to act as a buffer for our members. So there's a lot of different things. I mean, just two days ago, I finished up a J&A for one of our members. Actually, it was Friday. Man, I can't remember what day it is. It's Tuesday. Okay, so Friday, <laughs> I helped a, one of our members write a, a J&A for a sole source. Every day, people go, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't know. What day is it? 
It just yeah. depends. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I help them however they need it. And exactly. that's, that's really, you know, what it gets down to is having an organization that really is willing to roll up their sleeves and help you regardless of, of what you need. I think that's really important. I like the fact that you just said that about reaching out, whether it's contracting officers or someone else on their behalf, because I do feel like that is a challenge for small business where in the early stages where let's say they're doing an RFI or whatever it is, and they're trying to like we would say ghost something into an, a future RFP, sometimes they don't want to be the one to say, well, you should make this hub zone or you should make this whatever. They don't want to be the squeaky wheel. And so to have an advocate is really big because a lot of times what we're hoping is the small business office associated with that base or whatever it is, is going to be the squeaky wheel for them. And a lot of times it's not. That's where I, I think folks like yourself, your organization, folks like us, we just did that for a client as well, where a client said, hey, I don't know how to get the contracting officer to answer this question. If I ask again, they're going to get mad. So I was like, well, I'll do it. You know, <laughs> I'll do it. They don't have to know that you're my client. In fact, they probably never will. So if they get mad at me, they get mad at me. It's not a big deal. So I do see that as a problem in the community of trying to educate some contracting officers, but also walking a fine line from, as you said, getting blackballed in, the, in that community or that agency or whatever, because you were trying to educate them on whatever and they just didn't like it. It's good to have you as a resource for that. I do think that's a big challenge. The, uh, one of the other challenges that I see for, and let me put it this way, I don't know if this is a challenge. Maybe you can help with this. I think it's a perception in the market that, hey, the reason we're not hitting our goals is there just aren't enough hub zone companies that can help us meet these goals. Because yes, there may be, and I don't know how many off the top of my head there are, you, you probably know that number, there may be X number of thousands of hub zone companies, but is there one that does IT security in this area that I need? Uh, I don't think there is. There's just that lack of knowledge there about how to engage those people because they don't think there's enough. Do you see that as a problem as well? I might come off as a little bit um, impolite on this subject because when I hear they say that we can't find the companies, I just, I think it's a crock of crap. Yeah. I mean, a simple Google search or even just using, we all know how to use FPDS or SAM or whatever yep, it is yep. now. And it's easy to see that there's companies with this capability. The true issue is how do I gain access to this company within a reasonable time frame? And that's what stemmed category management. We put these rules and regulations in place to protect small businesses, but it's inadvertently created barriers. The companies yeah. are out there. And one of the big reasons that the federal government never met their hub zone goal has nothing to do people go, well, they met their woman-owned and their veteran-owned goal, but they really didn't meet it based on how the programs are supposed to be done. There was literally the last time I had done analysis, there was less women-owned set-asides than Hubson, which I didn't think was physically possible because mm. they are so rare. Literally 85% on average of the contracting dollars that are counted towards the Hubzone goal that they don't meet is not set aside for Hubzone. It's either small business, open competition, or of course, 8A, and the company happens to be certified, so they check that box. So literally 15% of the dollars that are going to support the hub zone set aside program, only 15% are either set aside or sole source. Okay. That's mm. ridiculous. 
Well, I have these programs and I don't want to make it seem like these programs are important because they are. I mean, I've lived it. I know what happens when companies move into remote regions and set up operations. Like it changes the trajectory of people's lives. Right. Like, so I know this program works, but the problem is, is the companies are doing their part. They're relocated into these areas. They're hiring employees, but the government is more focused on, we need to meet a goal. So really in sessions, even when I do acquisition training, I was like, listen, you're never going to hear me say, meet that goal. I want you to meet the emission. I don't care if you're at 1%, if that 1% is set aside, if that 1% is taking into contract performance location into consideration, like what are the jobs that we're creating? That is the objective of these programs. Same with women-owned and veteran-owned. We need to stop trying to work the system. We need more unique companies being able to get contract awards. As we all saw from the category management dashboard, the number of unique businesses receiving rewards is plummeting. So while small business spending is increasing, it's only going to a select few. And the only reason we created the Small Business Act is because we know small businesses create more jobs. So everything we're doing is counterintuitive to the objective of these programs. I can get back to the question because I know my ADD just kicked in. No, you're good though. Is that there's 7,000 or so hub zone companies factor into maybe a third are participating on the prime level. So there is less companies. And until just recently, women-owned and veteran-owned across the board were recognized as a self-cert. So you had like 150,000 some companies that are going into SAM and checking a box as women-owned. So it's a lot easier to check a box saying, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, I'm woman-owned and then being able to count that versus hub zone. So it's just a numbers game. And if you have 150,000 against 6,000, it's obviously going to be more difficult. But I see now that the federal government is taking away the self-certification for these other programs, yep. we're going to be having the exact same conversation about these programs that we do for HubZone. And maybe it'll open up Congress's eyes like, wait a minute, maybe we need to change these acquisition strategies and develop policies that really require them to count this as based on how it's solicited. Because more companies would participate in the program. Companies could be- develop better teaming strategies, leverage the mentor-protege better if we use these programs the way they were intended to be used. It, while it's a little bit of a rabbit hole, I think it's a good one, you know, that you went down there on that because it, it helps people understand the frustration that's going on. To me, what I see that happens with the government is there's too many times where, again, there's a well-intentioned thought and then there are changes that are being implemented that are either at the wrong time or in the wrong order. There's just some conflict with the way the changes are being made and it just makes life impossible for everybody, you know, as, without getting political or anything. I, I feel that's the thing with like the oil wells and all that kind of stuff right now. It's like, let's shut down an entire industry without having a new one in place. How do you go that route? Let's get all the infrastructure and things moving and have all of that direction. It's one thing to have like goals every year and that sort of thing, but not to say, hey, we're no longer doing that because we're now doing this thing over here. And it's like, well, you don't have anything in place for that. And I could, I could talk about a lot of things that we do that with, but this is just one of those areas where it's like, you're going to make a massive have changed to this, but you don't, you're not ready for the other side of it. One of my sayings that actually, it's actually got me in trouble a couple of times on webinars where I said, look, SBA can write goals all they want. No one cares about the SBA's goals. And if people are like, what do you mean? How could you possibly say that? I'm like, well, there's zero repercussions. And people are like, what do you mean there's zero repercussions? I'm like, what? Somebody at the SBA is going to write a letter to the organ, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like that is not a repercussion to make a contracting officer risk their job to do something to meet a goal. 
They're just not yeah. going to do it. And so without the tools in place, whether it's education on that person, whether it's the timing, because that person has a job to do, they have pressure from a command that's saying you will award these contracts in this time frame this way. They don't have a lot of leeway to say, well, what about HubZone? Why aren't we meeting our goals in HubZone? How do I get more knowledgeable about who the HubZone businesses are? You know, hey, let's have an industry day and invite all the hubs. Like they don't have time because of the pressure that they're put under because this is one of my favorite things. There just aren't enough contracting officers. If we're, if we're just if we're just honest about it. And now we've got, we've gone from senior level contracting officers to junior level contracting officers to specialists to <laughs> junior specialists. And I don't know what the level below junior specialist is. I, I kind of feel like, intern. well, I was going to say Walmart <laughs> greeter. Like they were, they were a Walmart <laughs> greeter and now they're, they're doing the junior special. And it's, and you know, no disrespect to them because they're being forced into that situation, but it's just an interesting situation that we forced these folks into. And I just wanted to share a little bit about our upcoming national conference, because these are the type of topics that we discuss, but not just venting about it, but we, we look at strategies on how to improve it. I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen a lot of the language that comes out are like, what are the barriers that are impacting small business? Well, <laughs> one of the barriers is the, the procurement process. On August 31st to September 2nd, the HubZone Council hosts our national conference. Last year, it was a hybrid event and the year before it was virtual, but I want to let everybody know we are back to live. We will be doing matchmaking again live, which I know <laughs> it's been long awaited. I am definitely a person that while I see the value of virtual conferences, I'm a very animated individual. Um, I believe that people do business with people and I love seeing the connections that are made at our conference. We've had so many companies that not only establish relationships and you know pursue opportunities with the hundreds of government agencies and large businesses that attend, but it's also about establishing synergies between other small businesses. With things like with similarly situated and subcontracting and things like that, a lot of businesses are able to establish those relationships and build networks to pursue opportunities. And I feel like seeing those connections is one of my favorite things at our conference. During the conference, we are going to have some rock star individuals that will provide training and education throughout it. We will be doing small business matchmaking. We also have a lot of other fun initiatives. We have a separate golf outing that really kicks it off. And we do a networking reception to find, we really like to create different environments that allow individuals to build relationships because everybody kind of has a different way of doing things. Some people thrive in one-on-one matchmaking and some people establish that relationship around a beer. I am one of those people. <laughs> so it's really good to look at ways of figuring out because not everybody will work well together, but it's finding those, those companies that share your morals and complement your capabilities so that you can build a strategy. Um, I constantly am telling contracting officers, it's like, you say that small businesses can't perform this work. And one time I was doing training for Lidos and they had a $100 million contract that was for one of their lab testing facilities. I said, you're right. A small business couldn't perform that $100 million contract because they wouldn't be a small business anymore. But a team of small businesses that have niches in each one of these capabilities could form a cohort and really make a huge difference there. I was like, do you want one company that kind of just does everything so-so? Or do you want a group of companies that is like rock stars in their arena? So 
we got to look at it from the perspective of what is going to make the biggest economic impact because COVID has had a crippling effect on our economy. And now it's time for us to rebuild. And we all know that anyone that took economics 101 knows that small businesses play such an essential role to our economy. And so at our conference, we're going to be building those strategies to rebuild America. So I really hope you guys all come out and check us out. We usually have over 100 agencies and primes that are in participation. Sometimes I even have to tell them like, whoa, 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 I'm capped out. I can't fit more people in the room. Fingers crossed it's going to be like that again. Based on my responsiveness thus far, I think that it's going to be. So, you know, I hope to see everybody there. I'm looking forward to that one. I don't know whether it's going to be myself or Josh coming to support you, but I know we're going to be supporting you and it's just an exciting conference. And I love talking about all this stuff because I think it just helps bring awareness to people that there are people in the market like yourself, like us, others who are aware of the problem. We understand the problem. We're working diligently to fix it and we're working with each other on educating other companies, contracting officers, different folks on how to just make things work better. If left to just the government to fix it, this stuff never gets fixed. But if we work together as a community, this stuff gets fixed. People win contracts and we get smarter about government contracting overall. And I think it's just a better time when we all work together. So uh, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this. You have any final thoughts, whether it's about the program or about the conference that you want to leave us with? Well, one thing I did want to mention is that when you made the comment, if it's left to the government, I can say that the government does their best, but everybody needs to have the seat at the table. The obstacles and barriers that government, large businesses, small businesses, even nonprofits and state and local government, we all have different barriers and we have to be knowledgeable about those. So when we're developing policies, we're not developing things that are counterintuitive to the other. And before taking on this role, I thought it was simplistic. Like, I can't they meet their goals. Like, it's not that difficult. The companies are there, solicit the contract. Until I started listening and understanding the other side of the story. You know, I was told by a contracting officer, they go, the average procurement time to solicit a contract using a set aside and open source is 12 to 24 months. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, don't you have annual budgets? And they're like, yeah. I go, well, wait, (laughs) how does that work? And they go, Exactly. So they tell us and they put these goals in place, but they have the process to go through the like the entire the solicitation, the R5. It's like a running joke. Like we had to have category management because the federal government's still on the iPhone 4. You know, things are going way too fast and it was taking too long to get goods and services. And I go, but narrowing the source selection shouldn't be the problem. I feel like we can come up with a better solution. I just hope that everybody realizes that we all have a responsibility to play our role. It's not anyone one person's like responsibility to do that. Just like, you know, we all say it in cybersecurity, like it's not just your security officer's responsibility to make things are secure. Everyone that is on that network within that company has a responsibility to making sure things. So we're an ecosystem. And um, I realized I might just went around a little tangent, like on that. (laughs) So I'm going to (laughs) stop. No, I I totally agree. I, I, and that was kind of at the heart of my, if left to the government to do it alone, I probably should have said in a vacuum, they're going to (laughs) come up with something that looks good in their mind, but it doesn't include the players. And that's where, you know, you run into the challenge of, well, when you're the one on the ground actually trying to execute this, here are the challenges you run into. And that is whether it is a company or a contracting officer, there are too many people that their hands are tied or they just don't have the education. I think you and I were talking offline about that. Not having the education of what you can and can't do in the FAR under simplified acquisition or what 
whatever it may be, just because, you know, there's so much involved in this. There's so much to learn. And for a lot of companies, this is how I tell a lot of uh, brand new government contractors. I don't care what status you have. When you're brand new, your sole focus is trying to win something to keep the lights on. You're struggling to do that and try to figure out this law book called the FAR. All these things that you were not anticipating when you got into government contracting. There's so many things you have to learn in addition to sales, which a lot of companies, like if I'm a plumbing company and I'm an IT company, I don't necessarily know sales that well. So I'm learning that on top of everything else. And I'm expected to do that out of the gate as a small business with limited resources. And it's just hard. It's just hard for people to learn all of that stuff and juggle all of those things and be expected to be an expert in all of those different areas. Because I do feel like that is a challenge for a lot of folks. Well, hey, don't you understand far part, blah, 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 whatever. It's like, never even heard of that, right? Now I got to go look that up and become an expert on it because they just inserted it into a contract and I'm trying to figure out how to do the contract thing. Meanwhile, I just want to make sure we can pay the electricity bill this month. <laughs> like that's all going on in the life of a small business. And I think people forget that. They forget that they're they're trying to just get customers, keep the lights on, do the real jobs, and then try to chart a trajectory for growth. That's what I see a lot of. And that isn't a startups problem. I see that at 3 million, at 5 million, at 10 million. I see that at 25 million where people are still trying to get a lot of that knowledge under their belt. That's my little rabbit hole tangent, whatever you want to call it. Thank you for coming on and talking about all this stuff. What I want to do is make sure there's also a link for people to go and check out the conference. Uh, So I'll get that from you uh, after we hop off here and we'll make sure people can go and check out the conference there. The link will be in the description. So if you're a hub zone and want to go to that, make sure you click on that. Here's a quick question for you. My final one. Uh, Are people who are not hub zone allowed to go to the conference as well? Absolutely, because this whole event is about establishing partnerships. And a lot of times establishing partnerships with other businesses that are in other socioeconomic programs helps you diversify and and strengthen your competitive advantage. Not only are they welcome, they're encouraged to come. If you are, if there's an opportunity that you're looking at that might be hub zone, maybe this is a good opportunity for you to find a business that's hub zone that you can team with and pursue it. Perfect, perfect. Whether you're hub zone or not, you're invited to the conference. Michelle expects to see there in August, September. Thank you again for coming on and talking with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash game changers.